This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. Signing day is getting closer here as Nebraska uh, we'll host um, a group of visitors this weekend, then they'll have another group here on the weekend of February 2nd. But uh, we're down to the home stretch, and we want to spend more time this week talking, recruiting. So right out of the gates, you get Nate Klaus um, in an additional recruiting segment. We'll still do our uh, segment at the end of the show, um, kind of previewing the weekend. But so much has happened since our show last week when we taped on Thursday morning. Uh, we thought it only made sense uh, to, to go right through uh, kind of everything that's happened. And, and really, Nate, right now in Nebraska, uh, 19 total commits. Uh, now, Masri Mapu, um, kind of a questionable one on that list if, if he's going to even be able to sign on February 7th. But um, they added three last week. Uh, four-star wide receiver Dominic Watt out of Florida, four-star Athlete slash running back Miles Jones, formerly a Vanderbilt commit. And then Braxton Clark, a big defensive back out of Orlando. Um, uh, Dr. Phillips High School, six foot, 390 pounds. Um, quite a week, and clearly that Florida theme continues as Nebraska uh, adds now their seventh commit from the state of Florida, um, and they may get more. Yeah, they're definitely in the running to, to get more. And <clears throat> this is the, the most uh, Florida prospects that – that Nebraska has, has uh, signed or had committed uh, in the Rivals era, you know, dating back to 2002, and, and I'm I'm guessing that probably this is the most that they've pulled out of the state ever. Um, and, yeah, hard to argue that take. Yeah, and uh, and I don't know if if it's reasonable to expect them to to sign this many guys out of the state of Florida each year, but uh, there's no question that they're going to be able to continue to recruit the state. You know, the their their popularity and their reputation uh, of this coaching staff, especially uh, Coach Frost, you know, is is pristine in Florida. And, uh, you know, everyone knows exactly what Coach Frost and his staff did with Central Florida. Um, I, there's a lot of respect for these guys, too, uh, with how they handled the transition. Um, and, and, of course, the their offense and defense are, are you know, are something that prospects are – uh, excited to play in. So, you know, there's a lot of familiarity there, and I think that's all contributed to their success in the state, and I think it'll continue. Nate, is it Flow Brasca or Flory Brasca? Well, it depends on who you ask. I, I like the Flow Brasca. It just sounds better. Flow, Flory Brasca just kind of doesn't roll off the tongue very cool. And, no, that sure doesn't. Um, but yeah, I wrote that this week and had a couple people. Um, say that that I had it wrong in our, our three two one. Well, uh, C.J. Smith, a four star safety commit, is he has kind of been the uh, been hashtagger. The, yeah, he's been the hashtagger, and he came up with Flow Brasca. It just sounds way. It just you know like what's the movie in the uh, social media movie when they used to call it the Facebook and um, what um, the guy from uh, Justin Timberlake goes in his role he goes drop the the just call it. Facebook, you know, it, it, Flow Brasca just rolls off the tongue, um, and I feel like you're trying to do too much of the old Cali Brasca with the Flory Brasca. It just doesn't sound near as smooth. Yeah, it's I, I'm with you. Well, they have seven now, and I, I I thought to myself, God, that has to be the most in the Big Ten, Nate, and it's not. Um, surprisingly, Illinois 
has 11 commits from Florida, uh, but we were just going through the numbers of states um, in the Big Ten. And according to my unofficial uh, data pool here, uh, Florida is the number one state in the Big Ten right now with 41 players committed or signed. Um, and Nebraska and Illinois have 18 of those 41. Yeah, and it's not surprising. I mean, I mean, Florida is a state. I think last year they they had over 300 kids signed Division One football, uh, whether it would be FBS or FCS. I mean, that is just insane uh, to think of about uh, when you when you start looking at you know population base and everything for for one state to send well over 300 kids, uh, you know, to Division One footballs is uh, pretty impressive so um and then when you're talking about you know big 10 caliber athletes um you know you know, i'm almost kind of surprised that there aren't more but i mean every every team in the country recruits the state of florida um and i i think i go back to the reputation that this coaching staff has i, I think that really gives them a leg up uh over a lot of their competition in the within the conference to to pull out some good players uh, not only in this class but in the years to come and to put it in perspective you know illinois as a state has 23 big 10 guys um in in ohio and pennsylvania which those are kind of considered the traditional big 10 recruiting states they're all on that same number so florida nate is really almost twice as many prospects as the next closest state and um, you know, we talk so much about Calabrasca and that movement. Uh, well, Mike Riley, over three three years, only signed nine guys from California in the last three classes, not counting this year. They're going to have seven and maybe eight, maybe nine um, this year alone from Florida. So it, it's quite remarkable, and I still think they're going to keep recruiting California. Um, but you and I have been around both states. Um, we, I mean, since we've known each other in 2002, uh, we were down in, in, I guess it was 2003, we were down in Miami, and and I can still remember how much we were blown away by the talent at a place like Carroll City, and we saw it again. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind, Florida is the better state for skill talent to get kind of those hungry guys that want to work and, and and get after it that might fit this culture a little bit better. Well, I, I think that um, speed-wise, too, I think – I don't know how you would be able to, to really do a case study on it, but I feel like per capita, you know, there's a lot more speed in the state of Florida than in California. Um, there's no question both states have a ton of talent, but I feel like per capita, speed-wise, if you go to the state of Florida, you're, you're, you're pulling a faster player, uh, you know, usually. And, uh, and that's, you know, I mean, that's part of, part of what Frost wants. Frost wants fast guys on both sides of the football. So, um, like you said, I, I don't think Nebraska is going to quit recruiting California. I think that's still going to be a state where they want to have a presence, especially you know in the in the Southern California area, LA area, Inland Empire, but JUCOs, yeah, and, and with some JUCOs. But um, but yeah, f- for sure, Florida is going to be um, you know a staple of of where Nebraska is trying to plant a, their flag and, and recruit kids out of each and every year. Yeah, I'll never forget we were young, 21, 22 year old kids in Florida covering a camp, uh, running a camp um, for our old company, Recruits Unlimited, uh, with Adidas. And we go down to Carroll City High School, Nate. They're the 8A state champions with multiple NFL players on the team. Kenny Phillips, Ricky Jean, Francois. Um, we had uh, a guy, Willie Williams. Willie Williams. Um, but, you know, we, we test out this team, and they were far and away. We tested out hundreds of teams around the country, coast to coast, and they were far and away the most athletic team we saw. And 
after the combine got over, I remember a bunch of seventh grade kids came over from the middle school and they were wearing just like their school um, uniforms. I think they must have had some dress code where, you know, kids just had to wear the same uh, school. You see that in a lot of inner cities where you wear a dress code to school. And these kids were in their school clothes with bad shoes on and they were running four, seven electronic 40s which to put in perspective, an electronic 40, a four seven is more like a four five handheld. I mean, there's a difference in the time. And and we just looked at and you and I just looked at each other. I'll never forget. And we're like, are you kidding me? I mean, these kids have never run a 40, let alone a touch pad electronic 40. And they're running four sevens in their school clothes on a driver's ed parking lot that has bits of gravel on it. Yeah, that's that's the kicker is is where we were running at. This wasn't like a uh, a not really nice track or something, and kids are running. Turf. Yeah, or turf, or you know, kids are running in cleats or in spikes. I mean, this is a an old tore up driver's ed parking lot that was basically like had a gravel top to it, and, um, and kids are pulling out their gold grills and and putting it on putting it on my desk before they rip off a, a four seven. That wasn't the grill day, wasn't it? <laughs> yep. Uh, that was in the who was that rapper um, that. Um, he wore the grills on the videos and stuff. I'm trying to remember what that guy's name was. There's been lots of guys. Lots of guys. But, yeah, that was in the grill. I forgot about the grill days. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You measured out those 40s, man. That was uh, that was a summer. But that, those kids in Miami, uh, to put it in perspective, Nate, we were in Pennsylvania at Penn State, and I think we worked out 800 kids. And those seventh grade kids would have had the better times than all of the kids that we worked out at Penn yeah, State. Those, yeah, those middle school kids would have had the best time or best times rather than uh, than any any one of those guys in Pennsylvania that we tested out without a doubt. Well, and there'd be guys. I remember we'd walk around and there'd be a guy sitting there. I'm like, I go to the coach. I go, Wow, who's that guy? And, he, and the coach would be like, Ah, oh, he's nothing, you know. And and, um, and in my mind, I'm like, This guy'd be like the best looking kid in the state of Nebraska <laughs> if he moved to Nebraska right now. Uh, but yeah, it's Florida. It makes a lot of sense, especially with the transitions at Florida State and Florida with coaching changes and. Um, you know, obviously with what Frost did, I mean, he stole the headlines in the state of Florida throughout the year with the season they had knocking off Auburn. And um, it's only going to continue as uh, this class comes to a close. But we have a full show on tap. Uh, we just wanted to bring you a little bit of a recruiting appetizer to start things off. We're going to close with recruiting, though, at the end, like we always do. Uh, we're going to talk some Nebraska ball, though, um, as Robin Washett uh, will join us in that segment uh, here later in the show. We'll take your questions in the mailbag as well. Uh, so all of that's next here on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, and now Robin Washett um, as we bring him into the show. And uh, it's time to talk a little Nebraska basketball as the Huskers got really, you hate to say it, Robin, but a, a must-win game at Rutgers and uh, at a Rutgers place that's been a lot harder to win at this year than in previous years. Nebraska's been in the Big Ten with the Scarlet Knights, but nonetheless, they they got it done, sixty to fifty four. Came down to really their two best players were better than anyone Rutgers had. James Palmer and Isaac Copeland kind of willed them to victory, and then Glenn Watson made a play late when it was a two point game, um, was able to drive to the basket and, and kind of make one of those street ball point guard moves that. Uh, he can do sometimes, but they got her done. Um, they survived this tough road stretch. We said going in, they should strive for one and one. Um, they got out of that thing one and one, and now they're at home and they're going to be big favorites against Iowa. 
Yeah, I thought the story of that game was um, obviously getting the win because, you know, you look at the next uh, eight remaining games, uh, Nebraska's probably going to be favored um, in every one, even a couple of those, you know, those few remaining road games um, with Wisconsin-Minnesota coming up. Um, So, I mean, the opportunity to win out is realistic. I mean, it seems kind of like a a tall task, but, you know, I mean, I think that that's certainly within the realm of possibility, especially considering how many games they have left at home and, you know, how good we've seen Nebraska when they're playing uh, at least close to their potential. And so, I mean, a lot of ifs there, but it's definitely something that could be happening. But I think that when looking at that Rutgers game, it was as important as anything was the return of Glenn Watson. Obviously, James Palmer is James Palmer. You know, Isaac Copeland got back after you know, a couple bad games um, and was able to get, you know, 23 points. But Glenn Watson had really been fighting it uh, over the past, you know, almost 10 games, um, you know, re- just struggling to score, uh, just looked uncomfortable, was forcing the issue, taking bad shots, not just missing shots, but missing bad shots. Uh, and he really was just not himself. And for Nebraska to be an NCAA tournament team, they need Glenn Watson to be good. There's no question about it. He dictates Nebraska's success more than any player on that roster. I'll put him over James Palmer uh, because when Glenn Watson is at his best, Nebraska is very tough to beat. And so he was able to get back to it. You know, he didn't have the most breakout game. He only had 10 points, but he did a little bit of everything. And more importantly, he made not you mentioned the one basket. He had a couple clutch baskets in the final minutes took a charge on Corey Sanders in the final seconds that was one of the most more massive turnovers and just looked like he was playing with you know that that swagger that we've seen him have and you know after the game he had as big of a smile as anybody on the team and you can tell that that was a big weight lifted off his shoulders and so uh, assuming that that can carry over you know on through these next eight games I think Nebraska's in a very good spot because you know as Glenn goes Nebraska goes yeah because you look at the last three or four years Robin as we talk Nebraska basketball this segment brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill five locations in Omaha two in Lincoln but you look at these last few years Nebraska would have dropped this game. We've seen this where the expectation Last year they did uh, the expectation level raises just a notch. You see opportunity um, and it's right in front of you, and and they drop that game. So it w- no matter how it happened, they just had to get a win. Uh, Nebraska's not in the. They're not a program that can worry about style points. They just got to worry about wins. Yeah, absolutely not. And so, I mean, that's just kind of the the theme for the rest of the year is survive and advance. Um, you know, during the broadcast and even afterwards, Andy Katz, who now works for um, Big Ten Network, but is a longtime national college basketball analyst, um, he's all in on Nebraska. And he thinks that, you know, when you look at this kind of muddled pack of the Big Ten standings, you know, from basically four to Eight. He thinks that Nebraska is going to be the team that emerges as you know one of those last teams from the Big Ten to make the NCAA tournament. You know, because you know we've seen it. And he made this point that um, when Nebraska plays, you know, close to its potential, you know, like they did against Michigan, like they did in the second half against Northwestern, uh, they're they can beat anybody in the Big Ten, maybe outside of Purdue. And they gave Purdue all they could handle on the road. So um, as, just as long as Nebraska does what it's supposed to do, and that's when you're home games and maybe get one or two of these next uh, three road games, uh, they're going to be in a great spot. Those should be well over the 20 win mark, which would be the first time since 2007, 2008 that they've hit 20 wins. And that's when they used to pad their non-conference schedule with a lot of guarantees. And it would only be the second time since 1998, 99. Wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah. So, I mean, keep that in perspective when you look at what Nebraska is accomplishing this year. Barry Uh, Collier never won 20. mm -mm. Wow. 
No, they got to 19. That's what I remember. There was one year um, before I hired you where I had to go to some basketball things because they were like on the bubble one year for like yep. about two weeks, and then they, they they fell off the bubble pretty quick. Yeah. So uh, it's it's setting up to be kind of a very interesting final month of the season here, just because um, you know they have such a home heavy schedule. Uh, Saturday's game against Iowa is already sold out, um, and you know I know Nebraska fans want that one badly, uh, and you know considering all that's at stake, that should be a fun environment. Saturday afternoon is kind of their last afternoon tip off here on a weekend so uh it's a seven no it's a seven o'clock game. sorry yeah 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 i'm I'm talking about the the rutgers one yeah okay so yeah seven o'clock saturday night um so anyway it it should be a great atmosphere and i think that the the momentum is slowly starting to build for a potential fun run here yeah if they can get through iowa then you've mentioned they have the back-to-back road swing but it's they got some time between the two road games at least there's finally um it's kind of their bye week where they play wisconsin and then they don't play Minnesota until, um, you know, they get a, little, a week off, essentially, mm-hmm. for Minnesota. So um, do you remember, Robin, where a Nebraska team has had to do what this one just did, where they stayed on the road from Sunday to Wednesday? I mean, it just doesn't – I mean, that's more like a Division two or like – um, you know, mid-major mm-hmm. type thing where you keep your team on the road for multiple games. You just don't see it at the Big Ten. I know the Pac-12 does that for all of their games. They 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 do multiple games on one road trip. Like Oregon will play at Arizona Thursday, then at Oregon um, or at Arizona State on Saturday. But mm-hmm. you don't see it in the Big Ten very often. No, it's very rare. And I think Nebraska, this kind of is reflective of um, the short end of the stick they drew uh, in, terms Every of year. Their, in terms of their scheduling. And Tim Miles has hinted at that uh, several times. They played four games in eight days, three of which on the road. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. And, and the BTN guys were joking about that. They're like, this team, um, it's like a they're playing like a pro schedule here. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of soapbox things that you can go there and rant about about how you know that's not good for players. Basically, you're taking them away from school for you know four to five days uh, to go play some regular season games just because you want to pack the schedule in. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, another another conversation for another time. Hey, you're but, going to New York now, so don't don't uh, don't be too upset. You need to go to New York. This is true. Year. This is true. Should be fun. Madison Square Garden. I've never been there. I've heard, heard good things. No, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Watchett, as we uh, discuss Nebraska basketball. So, yeah, it's another quick turnaround, though. You go to Iowa, or you play Iowa at home Saturday, and then um, it's it's Monday night at Wisconsin, right? Yeah, on, I mean, the, on the 29th. Yeah, that's a quick turnaround. I know. And so basically, they've been living on one day preps. You know, you you have a day off, you practice, and you play. You have a day off, you practice, and you play, uh, and that's. It's a grind, man. And so it's going to be interesting to see uh, just kind of what that toll takes on this team. You know, they, there was a times in that Rutgers game where they looked a little tired. Um, and granted, Rutgers is one of, you know, people might not know this, they're one of the better defensive teams in the Big Ten Conference. They're one of the better rebounding teams in the Big Ten Conference. It's just that their offense is terrible. And so that kind of, that game played out. It wasn't that unexpected that it was the rock fight that it was. But um, given, you know, the grind that they've had, you know, basically playing three games since January 8, 15, four games since January 12th or 15th uh that that takes a toll on guys uh you know so they they do get to come back home which will be nice they got thursday off uh they're gonna have you know kind of a light shorter practice 
on Friday and just try and keep these guys as fresh as possible. But um, they're going to have to rely on, on, you know, just feeding off the crowd a little bit for some energy because I mean, with this, the, the toll that this schedule that they've had to play will come into effect at some point, now, whether it's Iowa or whether it's two days later at Wisconsin. Um, it's going to be something they're going to have to fight. I think the through. home crowd, though, will get them yeah, up. And I so mean, that's going to be big. And so that's why, you know, that Wisconsin game right now, um, you know, KenPalm.com has a, a one-point underdog in that game. But I think that that's certainly a winnable game, but it's going to depend on, you know, how Nebraska can fight through uh, just the, the physical grind of this schedule. Because after that, like you said, they got another week off, and then you can get some time to rest. But, you know, they still got a couple games here that they got to just fight through it. Well, after Wednesday night's win at Rutgers, Nebraska now in sole possession of fifth place in the Big Ten, and not too bad considering this is a team that was preseason 13th in the standings. They're hanging right there with the Blue Bloods of the league um, with opportunities here to close this thing out strong. Uh, when we come back, uh, we are going to shift over to the mailbag, and I'm sure we'll have some more basketball questions in that as well, but uh, we'll take your questions next in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we are doing the mailbag. And uh, we are without interns still as they have class on Thursday. So um, I will man the mailbag this week and uh, get through the questions and uh, bring them to you as we did last week. And uh, guys, uh, right out of the gates, Nate, we got a uh, recruiting question uh, from Bankerman607, with the frantic next two weeks of recruiting left for the cycle, what do you see as the must-gets for the final few spots, and what, if any, do you see as contingency plans if we miss on these top guys? Well, the the good thing is that there's a lot of contingency plans uh, for all these guys. I think that the top guys that are, in my opinion, must-gets – are Jarrett Bell at offensive line. Uh, he's the Rivals, two, Rivals 250 prospect out of California uh, that visited the weekend of January 12th, uh, visited Arizona State last weekend, was supposed to make a, an announcement on Monday, but didn't. Uh, and so Nebraska's kind of in limbo right now. He's trying to decide if he's going to visit anywhere this weekend or, or what he's going to do. Uh, Cam Jones, the, the Rivals 250 safety out of Mansfield, Texas, uh, in my opinion, is a must-get. Uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste out of uh, out of New Jersey, a four-star outside linebacker, uh, big 6'5", 215-pound dynamic uh, pass rusher, uh, just overall great athlete. Uh, I, I think that, that he's a must-get. And then, um, you know, I'd probably throw in uh, a guy like Maurice Washington, uh, the, uh, the running back out of Texas, in, in that mix as well. Um, and maybe even a, a sleeper pick, um, you know, in, in that secondary, whether it's a, a Cam Taylor or a Kendrick Terrain. Next question here is from Air Force Husker underscore 54. Of all the players who are coming back this year, uh, i.e. no true freshmen are transfers, who is one player on offense and one player on defense you think is likely to make a big jump this season? Um, that, that's a great question. I think you, you can go in a lot of ways. I think Matt Farniak is a guy I look at on offense. I think Tristan Jebbia um, is going to really burst onto the scenes here on offense this spring. Um, defensively, um, you know, until we kind of see the, the, the scheme and kind of how things go, but Damian Daniels uh, is one that I look at that's going to probably emerge that wasn't playing at all last year. 
Well, if he's healthy, I'll throw Trey Bryant in there. Um, you know, obviously that it's a unique running game that Frost likes to run, but they run the football and the yards are there to be had. And so I think as long as you know Trey can you know get that that injury situation figured out and stay healthy, we saw how good he can be. And I mean, he can be one of the elite running backs in the Big Ten Conference. And when you add um, all the other things that defenses have to account for with this offense, I think the opportunity is there for him to put together a big season. I'm a I'm a big uh, Matt Sichterman fan. I think that he's going to be a lineman that that has an opportunity to really grasp, um, you know, make a move and, and maybe grasp a, a starting role either at guard or tackle. I think he's athletic enough to play either position, and um, you know, he's he's a guy that I'm kind of I'm on that bandwagon and, and really interested to see what happens with him this spring. Now, follow up to that question uh, we gave the guys that we think. Now the guys that we wish would make a big jump. Is it any different? Um, you know, I, I think some of them are kind of parallel to what we just said. Like, uh, but it, some of those offensive linemen would fall in that category for me. Um, whether it's a Bo Wilson or a Cole Conrad, um, they need somebody to make a jump that we don't know about. Um, that's going to get a lot better over the course of a year. Um, defensively, I don't know if there's somebody I would just say automatically. I think JoJo Doman, um, you know, ho- hopefully he comes back strong off that knee injury and, and, and could maybe even win a starting job. Yeah, no, no doubt for me on offense, it's anyone on that offensive line. I mean, they, they need that entire group to be significantly better. Um, on defense, I'll say Lamar Jackson. I mean, can, can you be the type of player everybody thought you were going to be coming in? I mean, can you reach that, you know, elite status that came with your recruiting profile um, he's really struggled you know has gone through I think he's actually regressed it's a good one last year um, and so with a new defense you know some new um, perspectives and you know coaching philosophies can he get back on track to being the type of player that Nebraska fans have been clamoring for him to be for you know a couple of years now well for me Christian Gaylord uh, offensive tackle is, is a big guy and, and Jalen Barnett I think both those guys on the offensive line you know, this could be. This isn't a very, very important uh, spring for them. And then defensively, you know, Deshaun Neal for me is a guy that uh, that you would really like to see take that next step because uh, he's been in the program now for what three years. Uh, so I, I think it's time for him to to kind of step up and see, you know, see him reach his potential. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. We're taking your questions in the mailbag. Next question is from In His Name. Uh, first part is kind of a joke here, but he goes, how often would you guys like to track some of the people off the board and slap them in the face? Um, no comment. No comment, but I'll see you at hy V. Yeah. That's an inside joke on our website. Uh, all the fights take place in the hy V parking lot on 40th and Old Cheney. They really don't, but they do. Um, in all seriousness, I know it's super early, but of the 2019 offers, which two to three are the biggest priority? I'm assuming Nate Duggan is already one of them. Yeah, I mean, I think you could say Duggan is is probably the Burt kids would be up there. Yeah, right up there. To me, it's it's for sure the Burt kids, uh, and and I'm not going to say specific players, but I'll, I'll kind of I think you could give areas. Um, all the St. Louis kids, uh, the between Trinity Catholic and St. Louis, nine and, offers in St. Louis, and, right? And Lewis North um, or Lutheran North, ten offers in St. Louis right now, or yeah, nine offers, ten offers in Missouri. Um, you know, I, I think that's very important. Uh, and then I'll also throw in, you know, a guy like Marcus Hicks and Brees Hall uh, out of Wichita Northwest. I mean, 
all those guys right here within the the you know the bordering states or 500 mile radius, whatever you want to call it, I think are are going to be crucial for next year's recruiting class. Yeah, you mentioned St. Louis, but I think Danielson uh, Ik Ek Ek out of Rockers, but mm-hmm. came from Miami. Um, is a you know big time top level maybe a rivals 100 offensive lineman when it's all said and done and um, to me in recruiting Nate I like to start in before I work my way yeah. out and and you want to um, what about Marcus Watts I mean is he on the board the kid out of Wichita uh, Xavier Watts he's 2020 kid no 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 uh, the defensive end Marcus Hicks I'm sorry. The, the defensive end in Wichita that came. yeah that's who I just said Wichita Northwest Marcus Hicks and and Brees Hall the 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 running back out of that same high school those two uh, are are going to be important prospects in this class yeah he's a, a big one but they have they, have they've gone down to see him yet in Wichita yep okay they've so they've been by there two or three times so they're putting him on the priority yeah list. he's he's definitely a priority they've they've made that loud and clear and and Nebraska's actually made up a lot of ground there because. You know, over the course of last season, um, you know, I, communication had slowed down to a halt between Nebraska and Marcus Hicks. Uh, and meanwhile, he was picking up national offers uh, basically on a you know a week on a weekly basis. So, um, you know, Nebraska and specifically Coach Ryan Held has made up a lot of ground with that family here uh, in a short amount of time. And then I, I know the answer to this already, Nate. But uh, do these prospects in Missouri have the speed to play in Frost's offense? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our defense. Uh, the, the amount, the collection of, of skill talent in St. Louis specifically um, is as good as anywhere. I mean, they've got, there's probably, there's probably five or six kids, skill position players in, in that city um, that are top 100 or t- for sure top 250 type talent. So, um, yeah, there's there's more than enough speed uh, to go around to, to play in this offense. But playmakers, big time playmakers out of that city. S. Latimer, we got to get one of your questions in here. Um, has head coach, uh, head strength coach Zach Duvall uh, having the players do yoga? They still continue to do yoga. I can confirm that, and uh, that's been a part of the recovery and, and stretching process they've done here the last several years. Uh, but we do want to close it with kind of a lighter question. If you guys weren't doing what you're doing right now for a job, what would you be doing? Uh, I guess I'll say first, I probably would be a salesman of sorts selling something. You'd be a travel agent. Travel yeah. agent. I'm pretty good at booking You're really stuff. good at booking stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's your calling in another life. I would say that or maybe a teacher because um, everyone in my family – including my parents had degrees in teaching. My wife is a, is a teacher. My sister's a teacher. So I'd imagine I, could, I would be, be in teaching and probably coaching um, um, or, as you mentioned, a travel agent or maybe a salesman. So uh, I've done this job like as my only job for like my entire life. So uh, I haven't really thought about it. But before I came to HuskerOnline.com, I was working out in a newspaper in Colorado and was just like really fed up with it. And I applied everywhere. I mean, wasn't getting any response. Uh, and so I was basically contemplating a new career path. And so I had one opportunity to go be a land surveyor in Wyoming traveling around to all the small towns, that going to courthouses, taking pictures of documents and filing them away, organizing. Yeah. So... That was one path. A lot of Hampton Inn breakfasts, man. Exactly. If, if you were lucky enough to have a Hampton Inn in that town. Anyway, and then my other option, uh, this I was actually seriously contemplating this, was to move to Crested Butte, Colorado and become just like a bartender and just like <laughs> just be, be a dude, be a ski town dude. I mean, <laughs> needless to say, I think I ended up in the right path. 
Yeah, I'm glad you're here, Robin. Thanks, Nate. Yeah. Uh, I would probably be in sales of some sort. Uh, I think that's always been it's always been something um, you know that I've you know have done or, or have kind of been at least halfway associated with. Uh, you did sell so cars at one time. I did sell cars at one time. And I you remember, were quite good at it. I remember when I I remember when I was a little kid. Uh, whether it was selling popcorn for Boy Scouts or even uh, there was some sort of deal where where you could sell like um, gift cards or, or not gift cards, but like greeting cards uh, to make money. And and I remember that uh, I would go door to door and it didn't matter what house or, or wherever. I would just go door to door and sell these greeting cards and it actually made a lot of money as like a you know nine or ten year old kid. Nate, you've always had that soft touch. Um, you know how to close the deal. But <laughs> right, when we come back. Uh, we're going to do double the recruiting. Lots still more to talk about. So we're going to talk recruiting in our final two segments. Uh, that's next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we are going to pick up the recruiting conversation. It's that time of year where recruiting drives the bus, and really it drives the bus for us all the time on Husker Online and Rivals.com, Nate. And, uh, really, when you look at it, it's kind of a numbers game for Nebraska here down the stretch. A couple of different factors. Total scholarship spots available on February 7th, as well as total official visits they have left to use. And um, it's literally been as fluid of a situation as you can imagine of dropping visitors, adding visitors, kind of getting a clear idea of where the numbers are. Our best guess right now, before anything's happened with Jarrett Bell or this weekend, um, Nebraska has at least four spots remaining. Am I right with that statement? Yeah, at least at least four spots, and and I think, you know, I they they show no sign of slowing down. So I I think that, uh, you know, by the time February seventh rolls around, we're definitely going to see still twenty two to twenty four um, in this class at, at a minimum. I'm 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 guaranteeing twenty two to twenty four. Twenty two without mastery Maypu involved is eighty eight scholarships, correct? Uh, yes, I believe that's, so. That's my math, at least right now, that they're at 84 today, and that's without Masri in that number. And that's with all their current commits added in. Uh, so assuming everyone that's committed signs, they would have four more to go. And uh, you you and Mike Mattia and Brian Munson and the staff have kind of given your thoughts really the last several weeks of what direction that goes. But, I mean, break that down again as far as the position groups you see those final four going to. Well, that's the interesting part is they're actively recruiting guys at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, offensive line, outside linebacker, corner, and safety for for four spots. Uh, you know, at, at minimum, they're recruiting, what, seven positions? So, you know, I think you have to look at – at the visitors that are coming in, um, obviously that January twelfth weekend was was a huge weekend, and they're prepared to take commitments from anybody that visited that weekend, and they have received quite a few commitments from players um, from that weekend. Now heading into the January twenty sixth weekend, I think you still have to assume that anyone that visits Lincoln, um, you know, for this weekend, uh, that they would be prepared to take a commitment from. So that means Matthew Tago at quarterback. 
Um, Cameron Taylor uh, as an athlete, most likely safety, but you know could also. I mean, he's 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 a dynamic two way player. I mean, heck, he even played quarterback in high school. Um, so you know, you know, I think I think they're all in on him. Uh, although at the safety position, I think that he's probably Plan B behind Cameron Jones um, you know, out of out of Texas. Uh, so you know those, and then you obviously you've got Dominic Watt that's that's visiting this weekend, um, who's already committed. So I think you could see them kind of close up, uh, close up shop here at the quarterback position and at the safety position, uh, especially depending on on what Cam Jones does because he's announcing on Saturday. Well, you've been involved, Nate, in the process of managing things with recruiting classes for Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, and to an extent early on you worked for Frank Soldier's staff. What goes into just kind of managing this with what they're dealing with, with not only numbers but limited visits? Because it's been quite impressive – um, how they've kept guys on the hook as backups for that February second weekend. Yeah, I think they've got like um, you know, close to ten players, ten, eleven, maybe even maybe even up to twelve guys on the hook for for that February second weekend right now. And obviously, they're not going to be able to bring all those guys in. So there's going to be players that drop off just because they are going to run out of official visits. And then there's obviously going to be players that drop off due to any any upcoming commitments. So, um, you know, it's it's there's a lot of logistics and it's fluid each and every day. Um, and, and I think it's smart the way they're handling it. They're getting guys on the hook for those weekend visits, um, you know, for, the, for that final visit weekend. They're um, to use it if they need it, and and then if they don't need it, then they can go ahead and cancel that visit. But uh, you know, heading into the final the final stretch here, and over these last two weeks, you say, okay, um, these are these are the positions we want to take guys at, and you know, it, then it becomes a delicate balance of okay. Who can we get? Uh, who's the best available? And and where are our biggest needs? So uh, if they're wanting to take or try to find a way to get two more offensive linemen in this class, uh, then that means, okay, then we're probably going to have to take or not be able to take a player uh, at X, Y, or Z position. We're going to have to reshuffle those scholarships. So, I mean, there's constantly meetings and discussions taking place of, okay, where are we sitting with this guy? Who Who's the best chance to commit at what position and what are our other needs? What direction do we want to go? Or how does, if we take X player, how does that impact these other positions that we're recruiting? So, um, you know, it's, it's a very involved process. And it literally, this time of year, it literally changes sometimes by the hour. Have you seen a staff in your time at Nebraska be this organized as far as having that second option so readily available? Because I feel like it just is different how how fast this has moved with how these guys have operated. There's two things that really stand out to me about this staff. And one is has been um, – their ability to line up backup plans. That's something that, that, that just completely decimated Mike Riley's staff uh, and even, and especially Bo Pelini's staff. Okay. Uh, so at least Mike Riley, they, they were in on guys leading up to signing day. Um, and, and obviously we all know that a lot of times they didn't get those guys that they were in on, uh, which left some holes. Now, Bo Pelini, on the other hand, they they were always in scramble mode uh, heading into the final couple weeks, trying to find players. You never want to be dumpster diving. Yeah, you never want to be dumpster diving, trying to find a guy 
to just to take a guy or to fill a need. Uh, you want to have you want to have players lined up, and and that's what this coaching staff has done a terrific job of so far. They've they've lined up. Uh, options on the table so that if one guy falls off well you know what that that's that hurts but at the same time we've got uh you know plan b or i hate using the term plan b sometimes but we've got a, another guy here and another guy here uh that we just move right up the board because we like what they bring to the table too so um you know I, if you say that they've got four to six spots left there's probably legitimately you know 15 to 20 guys that they feel pretty good about or that they have kind of on the hook or at least set to visit uh, so that when if players do fall off the board, they're not sitting there scrambling uh, or going to be left holding uh, a bag of nothing. So, uh, and then the other impressive thing is I've never seen uh, a staff be this up close to the the official visit limit. Um, and so logistically, what they've had to kind of juggle here over the last you know since the dead period ended in um, in early January, I think. It's been really impressive how they've kind of had to to build a strategy of how they want to handle these remaining visits and and then how do they want to distribute them. So uh, I think it's been really impressive how they front loaded that January 12th weekend full of you know arguably their top targets uh, heading into uh, heading into the dead or the the contact period or the last few weeks and then how they're they're going to end up kind of backloading it with uh, the backup guys with the backup guys guys that that. Uh, you know that they feel like they can really close the deal on here when they need to uh, to to go ahead and fill this class out. So um, you know, I just I've been really thoroughly impressed with everything this coaching staff has done from day one. It's to have a, a class who now I just got them looking at it. And now they're bumped up to the number twenty three in the country uh, to go from ninety fourth. After that was the low point. That was the low point. They were after they lost Joshua Moore. They had seven commitments and they were ranked ninety fourth in the country. And now fast forward, you know, five weeks, uh, you know, basically a month. Uh, you know, they're sitting at number twenty three in the country with nineteen commitments in their class. So. That's amazing what what they've done in that short amount of time, considering that they coached uh, Central Florida in the Peach Bowl and won, that uh, what they've been able to do is has been unbelievable. So I think it gives you, if you're a Nebraska fan, especially a recruiting junkie, you got to be pretty excited about what the staff could do with a full year fully dedicated and, and putting together a plan of attack, um, you know, to, to for the 2019 class and beyond. All right, when we come back, we are going to preview that weekend, talk about the guys coming into Lincoln and the chances of maybe getting some more commits. That's all next year as we close this week's show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, as uh, we are now going to preview what we know for the weekend here, at least on Thursday. And Nate, is, a lot of times things can change here on Thursday night and even Friday morning. Um, but as of today, right now, you feel pretty set on obviously three different guys coming in. And that number could be four, it could be five. I mean, Maurice Washington, somebody that has flipped his visit to Nebraska several times, the running back um, uh, on there, and, and still trying to get 
total clarification on when he could come to Nebraska, but as of now, you feel pretty strong about at least three. Yeah, three for sure right now. And, and, and you know, there's always some late movement. Um, earlier in the week, I was told by uh, one of Blake McDonald's coaches, who was an offensive tackle out of Northern California, that he was no longer going to be visiting Nebraska. Uh, and, and Willie Canty, who's an offensive tackle out of Florida, Told us that he was visiting Nebraska this weekend, so that seemed that seemed to to kind of align uh, that maybe Canty had moved ahead of McDonald on on their board. Uh, but then Canty let us know here in the last less than twenty four hours that he's no longer visiting this weekend, and that he's now visiting the weekend of February second. So uh, you know maybe uh, it could be a situation where McDonald's visit is back on. I don't know. I have not been able to confirm that yet. Um, and then with with Washington, I think a lot of it depends on what Ohio State is is wanting to do there. Uh, you know, they've got a limited amount of space left, as most people do at this point in the year. And um, and I know they're trying to juggle a handful of prospects. And and it, the way that they're recruiting Maurice Washington is a little unique uh, compared to most other schools because they really haven't put. Um, you know they they haven't they've kind of refused to label him as a pure running back. They've kind of labeled him more as an athlete, um, and and I think even kind of hinted at the possibility of playing some defense. So uh, I'm not sure if Maurice Washington is completely on board uh, with that. Although he he loves Ohio State, I'm not sure if he's completely on board with anything other than being you know a, a straight up running back for somebody. And he, just the way his recruiting has played out, it's been. It's been kind of, I mean, I, I can only imagine from your perspective or even anyone else's, it's kind of been exhausting to follow because it, it literally has changed every single day. Um, there hasn't really been much stability with how this process has played out for him. Yeah, it has been frustrating. I mean, the kid doesn't do interviews, um, and, and and he's kind of has a chip on his shoulder with his with his ranking with some services out there, including rivals and. Uh, and so you, you've had to go through his coach, or you've had to go through other back channels to to get a lot of information. And um, and as we all know, uh, when uh, when you're going through back channels to get information on a kid, um, it's not always 100 percent, you know, legit. You know, just uh, in the matter of a week, he went from being you know definitely JUCO bound to to maybe being able to make it to all of a sudden being completely cleared and 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 being an exemplary student so um yeah it's the the truth is always probably somewhere in the middle there um but the way things have kind of played out it there are i mean i'll be honest there's some red flags to me it kind of raises some question marks i mean you you can't the talent is undeniable uh but you know the way the recruitment has played out um is is to me is a little bit concerning you're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we preview the weekend, Nate. And um, I think the the one that most likely could commit is uh, Matthew Tago, an athlete, but Nebraska recruiting him as a quarterback out of Quartz Hills, California, or Quartz Hill, California. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, Nebraska has really been pretty upfront with him that, you know, quarterback's a spot. How many other teams are really going to give him that opportunity and, and, and be a part of an offense like Scott Frost? 
Yeah, see, and that's the thing is is um, they're really – it's pretty much Nebraska that's recruiting him as, as a quarterback. Everyone else is looking at him as an outside linebacker. I know some teams even offered him as a defensive end or as a tight end. So, uh, But the Huskers like his ability as a quarterback, and, and he brings a pretty unique skill set there. I mean, he's got a rocket for an arm uh, on his on his highlight film – you know, there's there's passes of, of his that travel 70 yards in the air, uh, and he's extremely accurate. You know, he threw for 38 touchdowns and, and only 10 interceptions, you know, passed for well over 3,100 yards last year. Um, you know, but he's not the most polished passer. I think as far as his mechanics go, I mean, he's got some work to do there, but but the talent is there. He's got an arm talent. He's he's got accuracy, um, and then you you factor in the fact that he's six uh, four, two hundred twenty five pounds, and can run and and run people over. Uh, I mean, some some he's got speed, but he's also some of his runs on his film. You know, he looks like a bull in a china shop, just just bowling over people. Um, so it's it's he. He bring it's it's a unique skill set there, and and I think that Nebraska obviously wants to add another quarterback to the roster because right now you only have three guys on scholarship uh, after Tanner Lee declared for the draft. Um, you, you've brought in a transfer and Noah Vedral, uh, so I mean I think the likelihood of of maybe there being a transfer out of that group here in the next year is pretty good. Uh, plus, I think with a player like Matthew Tago, um, you know you're. He's a guy that you feel comfortable kind of rolling the dice on because you know what if if Mario Verduzco gets his hands on this guy and can kind of turn him in you know kind of uh, make him a little bit more well-rounded or a little bit more polished I, I think that he could be a really really unique and dangerous weapon at, at the quarterback spot um, and you know what if it doesn't work out then you got a, a really good athlete that could play a number of other positions on your team so you're not really painting yourself into a corner where you're uh, where you, you're potentially going to be having you know a guy on your roster for four or five years um you know just kind of sitting somewhere on the depth chart if it doesn't happen to work out at quarterback you're listening here to the husker online show as we talk about the recruiting weekend cameron taylor out of park crossing uh, in montgomery alabama also expected to be in and this one looks like it's down to nebraska missouri uh, they had a similar battle for messiah swinson a tight end out of new york um, Nebraska will get him this weekend. Uh, Missouri is expected to get him the next weekend. Um, do you know if he is dead set on taking both trips or if something goes well this weekend and Nebraska puts the screws on him, he could possibly make a decision in Lincoln after the visit? I feel like he's, as of now, I feel like he's he's fairly dead set on taking both trips. Um, and I think that a lot of that has to do with what Cam Jones, the, the four-star safety out of Texas, is is going to be doing. Uh, he's set to announce on Saturday. So Nebraska will for sure know what Cam Jones' situation is on Saturday. If he happens to not pick Nebraska, which I don't think will happen, uh, we'll see. And you know, anything can happen these, you know, in these last final weeks. But um, if he happens to not pick the Huskers, then I think Nebraska would be able to to really put the full court press on Cameron Taylor. And, and get maybe get him to cancel his his visit to Missouri, or maybe even make a decision while he's on campus. He loves Scott Frost and his staff. There's no doubt about it. He told me after Scott Frost uh, was in his home that uh, 
that Coach Frost is the realest coach that he's ever met, and, and that's been a common theme. Anyone, pretty much all these recruits, every time they they have a meeting with Scott Frost or talk with Scott Frost, they say, "Boy, he is he is he tells it like it is. He is the realest coach that I've ever met." And, and he backs it up. Yeah, and he backs it up. I mean, he's he's a I mean, he's a young guy, uh, you know, walking into the home. Um, you know, he, he can talk about uh, winning. He can talk about playing offense. He can talk about playing defense, coaching offense, coaching defense. Um, you know, he's, he's you know, got a little street cred wearing the Yeezys <laughs> into your school or in, into your home. And, um, and, you know, he's just he's a unique head coach. And, um, and Cam, Cam Taylor really, really likes uh, Coach Frost and this defensive staff. And, uh, and he could possibly play uh, wide receiver, too. I mean, he played quarterback, wide receiver, defensive back safety um, for his high school team. I mean, he's a, he's a great player out of Alabama. And, and this staff has a track record of being able to, to get some guys out of Alabama. I know they were able to, to get a handful of guys out of there while they were at Central Florida. So, um, you know, he's he's definitely a guy that, that I, I think, depending on what happens with Cam Jones, they may be able to squeeze him and, and get a commit from him this weekend. Well, we can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel, Nate. It's been a long, long year of recruiting, and uh, it's coming to an end here for you and the team. So I know you guys will be ready for another big weekend here at Lincoln. Yeah, looking forward to it. It should be a good one. All right. Make sure you guys are on Husker Online as we will have complete coverage of everything that happens here this weekend. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.